0: Welcome to the Nail Your Nutrition Podcast, a podcast focused on training for endurance activity. I'm Sarah, a registered dietitian and toddler mom in the Washington, D.C. area. I write the blog Bucketless Tummy and focus most of my work on running and endurance athletes, as well as merging the principles of sports nutrition with the principles of intuitive eating.
1: And I'm Marita, a sports dietitian and fellow toddler mom in Pensacola, Florida. I work with endurance athletes at my private practice, Eat to Compete. My goal is to help athletes learn to fuel their training with intuitive eating. We are two sports dietitians and moms here to break down the nutrition science to make training more fun and approachable for you. Whether you're a novice athlete, a weekend warrior, a mom trying to fit in a consistent exercise schedule, or a top finisher at big races, we want to help you understand the importance of fueling well. We're so glad to have you here and would appreciate you spreading the word or sharing this episode or podcast with a friend, family member, training partner, coworker, or anyone you would think would enjoy it. If you have a minute, please leave us a review wherever you subscribe to your podcast, as that really helps the show. Now let's get to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. Sarah, tell me what's new in your world.
0: Hey, Marita. Where are we? We are in almost the second week of July, which is crazy to me. Feel fortunate not to be in Florida because your heat is even worse than mine, but we're still having like mid 90 degree days and they are killing me. Being pregnant in the summer is just not my
1: favorite thing. I'll go ahead and say that. Oh, my gosh. It's the worst. I remember when I was pregnant in the summer because I was due in July, everyone was like, oh, get ready. It's going to be terrible. And I'm like, no, it's fine. I've lived in the South for 10 years. I'm used to it. But no, it's like a whole other level of sweat. It is. And our (laughs)
0: neighborhood pool actually did just open like in the last week or two. They're capping it at a certain amount of people that can go at once. So we haven't been yet, but after going to the beach last weekend and – Seeing how much Cameron really does love the water and actually how refreshing it was for me, we might we might hit that up this weekend. That sounds really nice. That sounds fun. Yeah. Other than that, I can't go outside during the day. It's either morning or
1: nighttime. I'll do walks and play with Cameron. But other than that, I try and avoid it. Yeah. Same. I went for a run this morning and it was a real fill of 99 and it was just miserable. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. And you had a stroller too, right? That's even more powerful. I know. It was (laughs) – whenever I would stop to walk, Revere's like, run, run. (laughs) you are like, you don't understand. This is really hard. I know. (laughs) So hard. Not good. Yeah. So what's new in your neck of the woods? Yeah. So um, Revere turned two last week, and we are so fortunate that uh, my family is – my husband's family is within driving distance from Atlanta. Um, It's about six hours for them. So we were really – so, so happy to have them come down and celebrate since we didn't have a big birthday because Florida COVID cases are exploding. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have a birthday, which I know he doesn't really understand, but he kept asking for his friends to come over. So oh. I can only imagine how much harder it is with older kids. Like, it's just got to be so tough. But it was really fun. We had a good day. I think he had a good day. So that's really it. That's really yeah. The,
0: the pictures it's- I saw looked really cute, and his new yeah. car is adorable.
1: I know. <laughs> my husband got a corvette in march he is the biggest car nerd ever and he's like never really like splurged splurged on a car and you know with covid they were having a, a huge deal and it's like zero percent interest so he's like um i think i'm gonna do this I'm like, no you're not and then a week later he did it so happens. now it's everything corvette yeah but but Revere was excited to have a new Corvette Power Wheels like daddy. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's super cool. Wow. Yeah. Well, it looked like a lot of fun. And it welcome fun. to the two-year-old club.
1: We are oh, yes. we are in for it. It's oh, of fun, yeah. But also very challenging. <laughs> for sure, exactly. Our reader question for today is, how do I know if I'm eating out of boredom or out of hunger? And this goes along with what we're going to talk about for the next couple episodes. So, uh, Sarah, do you want to go first? Sure. So
0: I don't have much other information from this listener, but luckily this is a pretty general question and actually something that is quite common. I have a lot of clients who, you know, they're not sure if they're eating because they're hungry or because they're bored or because it's a routine. And I think since I practice from an intuitive eating standpoint, most of the clients that come to me are interested in intuitive eating and they have it in their heads that they can only eat when they're hungry because that's What intuitive eating is, learn to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. But um, we typically break that down and understand that eating and food choices are much more complex than that. Um, So, first of all, I want to say that there is nothing wrong with eating out of boredom. If it's something that is happening constantly, though, and you feel like it is impacting your quality of life, and it's also maybe throwing your hunger signals off and you're not hungry for meals with your family or hungry at regular intervals throughout the day, it might be something worth exploring. I always like having my clients ask themselves, like, when was the last time I ate? If you ate an hour ago, then, I mean, you could be hungry depending on what you ate, but chances are it's probably not hunger. Um, The second question would be, what did you eat? So if you just had like an apple for a snack and it's now or later, well, yeah, you're probably hungry because there was no protein and no fat in that snack. Or if you just had a salad for a meal with maybe a little bit of chicken on it, but no carbohydrates or anything else, well, yeah, you're probably going to be hungry soon after. So I think those are the big questions I ask. And then kind of trying to get an idea of people's routine. Is it normal when you're not Doing anything but sitting on the couch to have a bag of chips in front of you. If so, maybe it's not true hunger, it's more of a routine type thing or something you turn to for boredom. So there's ways to form new habits. But I think the biggest thing for clients to understand is if it's occasional, it's nothing I would worry about. If it's impacting your quality of life, or again, it's bleeding over into other meals or anything like that, then I would kind of ask yourself those questions and look a little deeper. What about you, Marita? Anything to add?
1: Yeah. And I feel like this is so prevalent right now with COVID and people just being at home and they're talking about, you know, this, I hate this term, the COVID-15 and all of that. And a lot of people saying that they're eating out of boredom. And one thing that I like to ask clients who are trying to start to tune into their hunger and satiety cues is, do you feel hungry enough to eat an apple or, or something else like, you know, like a cheese stick or something? And that kind of like checks you and it's like, okay, maybe I am actually hungry or maybe I just wasn't satisfied by what I ate earlier. And I just feel like I need to eat something because what I had before didn't really fill me up or satisfy me. So that just kind of gives you like a cue. And um, I hate when people say like to to drink a glass of water instead of eating. Sometimes you are dehydrated, so it's not a bad idea to have a glass of water also with whatever you're going to eat too. So keep that in mind. Uh, Hunger is a sign of dehydration, but almost always it's like maybe you just ate something too small. Maybe it didn't have the right macronutrients. Maybe you didn't have any protein or healthy fats like Sarah just mentioned or carbs. So just try to check in with yourself and really ask yourself, like, okay, what do I actually want? What do I – what sounds actually good? And, and you know, if if you don't feel like that you're actually hungry, then maybe just find um, something small and that will tide you over a little bit.
0: Great answer. So we hope that's helpful for you. Um, today's episode is – Marita kind of mentioned it's almost a two-parter. So we want to talk a little bit about wh- why dieting and restriction doesn't work, especially for an active athlete. And then we're going to split this into two episodes and spend the next episode next week talking a little bit about intuitive eating and the principles. Um, We didn't want to overwhelm you with everything for one episode because there's a (laughs) lot of information
1: here. A lot. A lot. So if you are familiar with Sarah and I, you probably know that we do not believe in diets, even though we are dietitians. Uh, The word diet is literally in our profession name. But we both... Don't think diets work. And there is a ton of research backing that up. And so we're going to discuss that today. Why diets are not beneficial, why you almost always have rebound weight gain, and why you get trapped in that diet cycle. You start a diet you find that it's too restrictive, you overeat or maybe binge, you go off the diet, and then you start it again. And that cycle is something that we work on with a lot of our clients. So we want to talk to you about that and then maybe transition and transition into intuitive eating in our next episode. So uh, first, we're going to talk about the psychology of restriction. The longer foods are forbidden, the more seductive they become. Uh, One of my favorite quotes is from Carl Jung, and it's the more we resist, persist, and grow stronger. So the more you say something is a bad food or off limits, the more you want it. And the diet industry really relies on that, on that mindset.
0: Yeah. And that works for our toddlers too, or probably yourself. I mean, you tell your toddler not to pick up the red marble, which marble do they pick (laughs) up? It's just, it's a human instinct. I mean,
1: we want things that are off limits. We don't like being told what to do. Exactly. Exactly. And the diet industry really relies on us wanting those off-limit foods so that we can get back on that diet. They want you to be on a diet over and over again because that's how they make money. And unfortunately, that dieting mindset really leads to feelings of rebellion, guilt, shame, and deprivation. And then as I mentioned, that post-diet binging and rebound weight gain almost always occur. If you've ever heard someone say, oh, I went on this diet I lost 30 pounds and that was six months ago and then I went off the diet and now I weigh 50 pounds more. It's because you feel so deprived that you let loose, right, in quotes, let loose and just eat all of those things that were forbidden or on your bad list. Yeah. And there's
0: a lot of hormonal changes that occur that we're going to talk about too. But yeah, diet's are set, they're setting you up to go on another diet after you get off one. So that's, that's why they're a 70 plus billion dollar industry, because they don't work. And they make you feel like you're the one failing when in fact, it's the system, the diets are failing you because there are so many, so many things wrong with it, but so many reasons why they're not meant for our bodies, which we hope we can portray that to you today.
1: Yes, definitely. So, just to break down that seventy billion dollar number, because that's a big number. Uh, that includes things like Weight Watchers, which unfortunately got a bump when Oprah signed on as a spokesperson, and I think she owns part of the company too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Curbo app for kids, which it is a a diet tracking app for children, which is horrifying. Does that? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, any fad diet out there? So, what comes to mind for me is like Whole Thirty. I know that's a really big. A big one that was very popular and is still popular and you know you have to pay for that at least for the cookbook meal replacement shakes meals made for you with a certain amount of calories any kind of fitness program you buy online or subscribe to that also is included in that
0: yeah and I would include like think about who you're getting your information from and this is me hopping on my soapbox briefly the trainer at your gym yeah unless that person has a degree in nutrition. And I should say they need more than just a degree in nutrition, but to be giving credentialed advice, unless they have a dietitian credential behind their name, that you shouldn't be taking advice from them. Um, not to say that they're always going to be wrong, but in most cases, um, the information they're spreading is harmful <laughs> and it could be very false. Um, this also extends to influencers, yeah. my favorite term, someone you're following on Instagram or a YouTube channel that you follow. And mm-hmm. um, just because they're giving advice or maybe sharing what worked for them does not mean it's evidence-based. And it can be very harmful, especially if they're taking money for a product they created or something. Um, and there's actually a lot of, this is very pertinent, Rita, in Florida, A lot of talk going on right now in terms of CrossFit and Mm -hmm. people who aren't credentialed as a nutrition practitioner being able to give advice. So I know Marita put a plug in this on our last episode, but if someone does not have a registered dietitian credential, they have not gone through all of the training that we have as registered dietitians. So it is important to do your research.
1: Yeah, which is a bachelor's, a 1200 hour internship, and then soon to be, have to have a master's. So if you just took a course online and call yourself a nutritionist, that is definitely not the same thing.
0: And a board exam
1: and continuing education. So it doesn't, I always forget (laughs) about (laughs) all the things we have to do to keep up that credential Uh, and many fees that we also have to pay. But yeah, it's the CrossFit situation in Florida is pretty frustrating. And so if you're not familiar, CrossFit pretty much like petition to have any of their uh, fitness instructors who call themselves nutritionists that they can give diet advice or nutrition advice, I should say, to their um, members and that you don't have to be a dietitian to give nutrition advice, which boggles my mind. It's like you don't take medical advice from someone who isn't a medical practitioner, but somehow food gets the pass. Right. Or even any specialty. Would you go have eye surgery or like go see –
0: Someone who didn't specialize in optometry for your eyes, like that's a serious condition. No, No, you wouldn't. Um, so, So it is, it's boggling for us, but for the general public, we get it it's confusing. You don't know who to take information from. There's a lot of stuff out there. The more you know, the more empowered you can be. So we just want you to understand the difference between having a medical credential, whether it's a registered dietitian or a physical therapist or an athletic trainer or a pelvic floor therapist, what have you. um, Know that they're usually are accrediting bodies, and there is a process that people have to go through to get credentialed, which usually means they're a safe bed, and hopefully they're staying up with their continuing eds, and they are knowledgeable, whereas someone without those credentials might be gaslighting the profession. Now that Marita's talked a little bit about the psychology of restriction, I'm hopping off of my soapbox for the time being. We want to give you a little bit of research um, because we are evidence based, and we do want you to kind of understand a little bit about dieting and the research behind it because it just may help things click a little bit more. So, it's well established that dieters are able to lose weight in the short run. So maybe you've been on a diet and you've had some short term success, but most studies don't go beyond the two year mark, and that's where we really see the weight coming back and. Usually, it comes back and then plus some. And we call this weight cycling, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later. But it's important to know that the research does show that diets don't work if you're looking at the longer-term research. A team of researchers looked at every randomized control trial, which that's kind of the gold standard when it comes to nutrition research, of diets. And they found that people that engaged in diets lost weight in the first 9 to 12 months But when they looked at the long-term results over the next two to five years, really the only weight they had lost once they considered regaining the weight back was just two pounds. Now, two pounds, maybe that's something you're aiming for. But when you think about what it takes, I mean, what measures were these people going? How low were their calories? How much did it affect their quality of life to lose those two pounds? In the same study, participants in the non-dieting control groups gained weight during the same years initially, but in the end, they lost an average of just one pound. So it's a one pound difference for dieting and not dieting in this randomized control trial. So again, one study is not going to tell us everything, but I think it's very insightful to understand that just learning to trust your body and giving up dieting can be empowering, but also you can lose weight if that is where your body wants to be. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We have another research study that showed 3 years after participants concluded a weight loss program. So it didn't say what the weight loss program was or what it entailed, but 3 years after completing it, only 12% of the people were able to keep off at least 75% of the weight they lost. So that's a very small number. 40% gained back more weight than they had originally lost. And more often than not, this is actually what we see in the research. People lose weight initially, they gain it back, and usually they gain more back. And again, we're going to talk about why that happens. But these are kind of trends for what the research... Show us.
1: Right. And just to drive that point home, another study found that five years after a group of women lost weight during a six month weight loss program, they weighed about eight pounds more than their starting weight on average. And then another study found that 19% of people were, were able to maintain a 10% weight loss for five years. Think of, like Sarah said, think of everything you go through. To Try to lose weight. Maybe you increase your exercise. You try to change drastically change your diet. You put foods on the bad list. You cut out your favorite foods. So a lot of work for not much reward. It also appears that weight regain occurs regardless of the type of diet used for weight loss. Although some diets are linked to less regain than others. One of those was emphasizing healthier fats versus not so healthy fats like butter. So that was one diet that was linked to less regain, but even then it was only about one to two pounds. So really not much bang for your buck here with those with those intense diets. And I thought that was so interesting that it doesn't really matter the type of diet used because think about the higher argument in quotes, the hierarchy of diets out there. You think Whole30, Paleo, Keto, all of those things that are touting that they are the best diet for you and you're going to completely revamp and change your life. And it doesn't matter which one you choose or which one you go on, you're going to have the same results either way.
0: Yeah. Interestingly enough, and you'll hear all of the strong-willed promoters, low carb is best, low fat is best. But time after time, the studies aren't really showing much of a difference. And I think once you hear some of the research that we have to share about intuitive eating and how that can improve health markers, it might be a little bit eye-opening. But Rita, why don't you tell us a little bit about why this is bad for the body? So we say we don't promote diets, but it's not just because we don't believe in them, but it does have harmful effects on the body.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because I feel like as dietitians, I didn't really learn about these harmful effects in school. Did you, Sarah?
0: Not really. I mean, I think you learn a little bit about a slowed metabolism, maybe. But, yeah, yeah, you don't learn too much about the hormonal. We didn't talk too much about weight cycling, I don't think. No, Um, no.
1: Unfortunately. no. Right. So let's, let's dive into that. So calorie deprivation, which means getting less calories than you are used to, leads to changes in hormones, metabolism, and cognitive attentional functions that make it difficult to keep those behaviors up needed to keep the weight off. So a lot harder than it should be and needs to be. When your body is in a calorie deprivation state, Levels of leptin, which are the satiety hormone, decrease. So that hormone that keeps you feeling full and satisfied is lower. And then levels of ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone, increase significantly. So not only are you in a deprived state, but you are experiencing more hunger and those feelings of hunger remain increased even after eating a regular meal. This is why dieting is so hard. It's mm-hmm. like, why why would you want to be in this deprivation state forever? And that's why people are like, oh, I, I failed that diet or, oh, I found myself face first into a tub of ice cream. It's like, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. It wasn't your lack of willpower. It was because that diet set you up to fail. It's your body literally responding like, no, I need more calories. I I need more fuel than this. This isn't working. That diet is literally working against you. And you
0: wonder why you're feeling hungrier. Well, it's because your hormones are are kicking in and
1: trying to keep you alive. Yeah. Your body's main job is to keep you alive. And when you don't have enough calories, it's it goes into a state of stress. And that state of stress just completely messes with those hormones. And you're not going to feel like yourself. You're not going to be able to concentrate. And you are eventually going to overeat or or find yourself you know, looking at the cabinet thinking, mm, what can I eat that I haven't been able to eat for the last two weeks or two months or two years, whatever it is. Totally. That
0: hyper-focus on food is another side effect from dieting. Totally. And I think uh, some people may be aware that when you eat less food or when you start to lose weight, uh, your metabolism slows down. Again, this is your body's response to keeping you alive. You're not giving it as much energy, so it doesn't want to expend as much energy on processes that it does not have to do. So this is the most fundamental physiological adaptation to calorie deprivation is – this reduction in energy expenditure. So the more diets you go on or the quicker you lose weight, the weight you lose, it's going to affect how many calories you're burning throughout the day. So you may be feeling hungrier like we just talked about, but guess what? You're not burning as many calories. So again, this is this is your body working against you when you are intentionally depriving it of calories. So you're, again, your body is slowing down because it's not getting as much energy. Um, it's trying to maintain that homeostasis. It doesn't, it realizes that it does need to focus on certain things to keep you alive. So that might be your heart pumping and your lungs, but maybe temperature regulation isn't necessity. Having a period isn't essential. So it does start to shut down other parts of your body that aren't necessity or vital for life. And some of you have experienced some of those side effects. It's something that we've talked about in the past episode, especially in the relative energy deficiency in sport. But again, this can happen just with going on the common diet.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think the biggest thing that a lot of people don't realize is that to continue losing weight, you have to consume even fewer calories than during the initial stages of the diet. You might think like, oh, I'm only eating 1200 calories. I'm going to lose so much weight. I'm good. But your body learns to adapt and run on just those 1200 calories. So if you want to continue to try and lose weight, you have to deprive yourself even further because your metabolism is smart. Your body's main job is to keep you alive. So it learns to run run at a less ideal pace, but still run nonetheless in order to keep your body alive. So it's it's really hard. And again, that's super discouraging because eating less than really, I would say at least 1,800 calories a day is very hard for most people, especially if you're active. That's almost impossible and not something I would ever recommend. So 1,200 calories a day is what's recommended for a toddler. So if you go below that, it's just you're getting into that really scary state of you're going to hurt your metabolism, maybe even long term. Again, we talked about this in the Red S episode. So it's just it's set up to fail. So, Mm -hmm.
0: yep. And along with what Marita talked about earlier, a little bit about the cognitive changes. So you you do think about food more often. And we have a study that we're going to talk about shortly that explains why. But calorie deprivation also leads to changes in a variety of cognitive and attentional functions. So maybe you are focused on staying below a certain number of calories or grams of you name your macronutrient per day it's easy to become very focused and obsessed with that and very preoccupied where food and numbers are taking up a big part of your energy throughout the day because you're thinking about that and maybe you're not able to focus on work or you're not able to concentrate or maybe your relationships are suffering because you're spending so much time worrying or focusing on other things. So the calorie deprivation and dieting really does Affect the mental mindset too. And I think that's something that's easy or slides under the radar often because people don't attribute that to not eating enough. But having a hyper focus on food is definitely a, a sign from your body that it is quote unquote hungry, but also that maybe it's not in a homeostatic state and it needs some care and attention.
1: Yeah. And they actually have done a lot of, um, well, They've only done a few studies on this because starving somebody is uh, not really the (laughs) standard for research. But there were... Uh, there was one study during World War II. Yeah, so the study took conscientious objectors to World War II who volunteered because they wanted to contribute to their country in some way to be semi-starved for six months. And again, this kind of study is never going to happen again. So this is why this is referenced so much. But the volunteers were put on a higher diet. I think it was like 3,200 calories for three months or maybe it was a couple weeks. And then they were down to half that, 1,600 calories. And I think it was even less than that for a little bit. And then they went into a refeeding uh, plan, which is just slowly increasing those those calories. So the volunteers uh, definitely had a really hard experience. They spent much of their time talking about food, planning future meals when they were done with the starvation research. They read cookbooks. And some even considered new careers in food-related fields. So when you are calorie deprived it just completely changes your metabolism your physiology those hormones and and your attention because they all they like obsessed with food like i think i read one even how to get out of the study he was kicked out of the study because they found him eating like garbage scraps cuz he was so hungry terrible also of note many of
0: these men before this none of them like were into cooking or food at all like it wasn't right. a passion before this but you can imagine once they experience this gnawing hunger constantly, they're, they are changing. I think I also remember somewhere in the study, like they would do more yeah. exercise in order to earn more food and sneak, sneak different things of food, binge at night mm-hmm. when they had a chance. It was just all of these mindset and habit behavior changes as a result of the calorie deprivation. And this is at the 1600-ish calorie level that most diets are <laughs> recommending. These are the <laughs> symptoms that these men were
1: experiencing. So that's pretty eye-opening in and of itself. Yep. Exactly. Um, it's funny. I, I just came across this this study, but it said that when when you are calorie-deprived, people actually have improved smell too, and that you report that food tastes more palatable and you're willing to work harder to earn it. And it's like that quote it's like, um, hunger is the best seasoning or flavoring. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh my gosh, yeah, so, your senses
0: are more attuned. Yes. So your body's like, I need to survive. What do you, yep.
1: what, what do can I, I do know? to get some fuel here? Yeah, mm-hmm. and then during that. During that World War II, those objector that starvation diet um, research showed that those effects of calorie deprivation lasted way longer than researchers anticipated. Uh, those people who were still who were on that starvation diet had overly efficient metabolic rates and preoccupations with food thoughts over a year after the starvation period ended. And we've talked about this before, but that goes also with the contestants on The Biggest Loser, they lost an average of 128 pounds in 30 weeks, which is mind-boggling. And they still maintain the metabolic effects of calorie deprivation even six years later, meaning they had to eat an average of 300 to 500 calories less per day just to maintain their weight. So if you think about what your resting metabolic rate might be for most women, it's somewhere between 1,200 and 1,800. And again, that's your your bare minimum calories, if you're not moving, your your coma calories is what I like to call it. No activity, none of that. Um, that's that's so hard. I couldn't imagine eating 900 calories a day just to maintain my weight. Like that's
0: right. That's so. And difficult.
1: that was after they gained all the weight back. Yeah. Their metabolism was still
0: skewed, right. In that way, right? It
1: was basically damaged for life. For, yeah, exactly. So obviously, weight cycling, yo-yo dieting is very problematic. And then it also can increase your risk for other chronic diseases and then more systemic inflammation in the body.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is what, of course, the dieting and influencers don't tell you. They know that dieting doesn't work, but they want money. That's why it's a billion-dollar industry. Mm -hmm. They know you're probably going to gain the weight back and more. But losing weight and then gaining it back is actually more damaging than just staying the weight that you were. Um, This weight cycling, there is a lot of information. Rita just mentioned some of the systemic inflammation it can cause, but I've seen cardiovascular um, health impacted, GI health impacted. There's a lot that it can have these long-term effects on. And again, it's what we're talking about when we say weight cycling or yo-yo dieting is losing weight and putting it back on, losing weight and putting it back on. A constant change up and down of weight. And it's almost controlling your body where your body kind of loses any autonomy and doesn't know what it, where it should be or what it should be eating.
1: And also uh, that weight almost always goes back to your abdomen. That's where your body gets programmed to hold onto it, whether you're male or female. And abdominal weight is more closely linked to cardiovascular disease. So, and I, I don't know how many people I've seen who are like, I just want to lose my midsection. I don't know how many times I've heard that in being a dietitian. Mm -hmm. So it's almost always from weight cycling and yo-yo dieting is where you get that, that excess fat. Let's take a short break to talk about Patreon. This is a new way that you can help support the podcast. If you like this episode and you've been enjoying the content we're putting out, we started a Patreon so you can support the podcast. We have a few different levels and it really is very affordable. We have a $3, $5, or $7 a month tier, and this includes different things like freebies, discount codes, and more. Sarah and I pour so much into this podcast and want to continue to provide you guys with the best. Head to patreon.com slash nail your nutrition or check out the show notes for the direct link. We so appreciate it and we're looking forward to providing way more cool stuff for you guys.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about kind of why dieting doesn't necessarily work and why it works against some of your innate systems. So when we say innate systems, uh, you have regulatory hormones and your body is intuitive. You may not feel like it at this point if you've been following rules and diets for so long. But deep down, your body knows where it wants to be. It kind of has the set point range that it it feels best in. It kind of knows how much food it should be eating. So it just sometimes it takes some time to get back to it. But one thing to know, and I'm sure if you've been on diets, you've experienced this, is that they're mostly temporary, right? They come to an end, whether you're doing a diet before your wedding, or you want to lose weight in the off season, or before school starts, or summer beach season, whatever it is, it's usually a temporary time frame. And by just that nature, but in and of itself, we're telling our body that we're not meant to maintain it. So if we look at the bigger picture right there, we we kind of know it's not maintainable. So just the act of engaging in it in the first place, we may know it's harmful and problematic. We're not meant to cut out full food groups, especially for a long period of time, whether you're doing like a low carb or a keto. We have three macronutrients for a reason. They all play a role in our health for different reasons, and our body thinks feels best, thrives best when it does have a variety of nutrients and enough energy. So just keep that in mind, knowing that they are temporary. They require a lot of dedication, physical, mental, emotional, financial, that is it really worth it or what are you missing out on to engage in this that probably won't be maintainable for the long term?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, dieting affects more than your relationship with food. It it affects so many other social aspects, like when you're out with friends, having a dinner, which hopefully we can do sometime in the near future, thanks COVID. Um, do you turn down sharing a dessert with your friends? Or if someone wants to come over and, you know, have a movie night and have popcorn with you, do you say no to that? Um, do you turn down all your favorite foods that you, you know, used to love and enjoy and, and really – you know, find pleasurable? Or, and then do you feel the pressure to exercise more? I, I've definitely seen this with my athletes. It's like, well, if I don't run for an hour, then I can't have my usual, you know, pizza on Saturday night or whatever it is. So it's, it's those rituals mm-hmm. and habits that you have established with friends and family that definitely get affected. And it's just more than what you're eating. It, it affects all facets of your life.
0: Yeah. I was actually just talking with a client today, and this is an older male client. He's in his 60s, and this breaks my heart. He feels like if he overeats his snack calories throughout the day, he has to go run for longer at night, and that's time away from his wife, time away from his family. That's a lot. That's a lot of energy um, and Mm. mental energy to be thinking about that, but also just that compulsive nature that you feel like you have to undo things that you eat or engage in, in other ways. That's a side effect of dieting. Yep. That's also a side effect of the culture we live in. And we did talk a little bit about this in our episode with Fiona Sutherland about body image for athletes. So if you haven't listened to that, it is a great listen. It's a little bit long, but there are so many insightful nuggets in there. And it kind of explains why so many of us, so many people have that feeling of not being good enough or measuring up to these unrealistic expectations or or I'm going to call them cultural norms because that's what you see in magazines and on TV. You see only a thin white person and everyone is not supposed to look like that.
1: Yeah. And same with the endurance world which you talked about. What do yeah. you think when you think about an elite runner, you think of a thin white woman or a male, right? It's – it's not how we are all supposed to look. We're all supposed to have different bodies for a reason, and you're supposed to have different calories for that reason. We don't all need to eat a 1,200-calorie or 1,600-calorie diet. There's no way that we can sustain that and have that be the norm forever. It's just not physiologically possible. Right. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Um, Along
0: with that. Uh, hyper-focus and taking up mental energy. So diets do make you more obsessed with food. So Marita talked a little bit earlier about ghrelin. That's our hunger hormone. When you're, when we are intentionally restricting calories, that hormone increases. So we are feeling hungrier. So people always start to doubt like, oh, dieting so hard, I'm, I'm doing it wrong, or I failed, I don't have enough motivation because I can't stick to it, I'm hungry all the time, or there's a reason why. Your body's doing what it's supposed to. It's trying to get that fuel to uncover that mismatch that is going on in the body. So when you are having to continuously think about numbers, food, staying below a certain amount, um, we have a stress hormone called cortisol that is constantly being increased when we have these hyper-focused thoughts and we we tend to fixate on it. So cortisol actually has a really devastating effect in the body. Mm It's it kind of puts everything on high alert. It's It actually leads to more fat gain too. Yep. And yeah, there's that's just another reason that dieting and hyper focus is kind of negatively affecting your whole body.
1: Yeah. And when you focus on those external rules that, that diet or the food police have given out, you don't check in with yourself anymore. And it doesn't it doesn't teach you habits that you can take with you long term. I think this is probably one of the biggest things i work with my clients and have worked with in when i when i used to run weight loss programs before i um before i started my own private practice is that when you measure food out or when you think that you have those like pre-packaged portions like the 100 calorie portions, i always tell clients to check in like did that actually fill you up? Was that enough? Did you need to have a half a cup of nuts instead, or were you okay with just a handful? Did you need to have a fourth of a cup of nuts, or that prepackaged, you know, fake diet cookie? Did that actually satisfy you? So those are those are rules that diets tell you to follow. And when we don't check in with ourselves and actually say, like, uh, "I'm still kind of hungry after I had that, you know, fake diet biscotti thing," I'm gonna I'm gonna have an apple too. When you don't do that, you're gonna be not feeling satisfied by what you're eating, you're going to feel deprived all day long. And then that's going to lead to overeating, which is going to lead to that fat gain that you're trying to avoid anyway. So, not checking in with yourself and following those external rules doesn't serve you in any way. Yeah. And
0: along the same lines of that, diets aren't taking your individual differences into consideration. They are huge blanket statements, right? Everyone following this diet needs to eat this many calories and this many grams of fat. This many grams of carbohydrates, no matter your genetics, no matter your health conditions, no matter what your goals are, no matter how active you are, no matter how you sleep, right? There's so many things that go into our nutrition needs that diets just can't account for because they're not a person who can individualize or personalize nutrition for you. So even if you ate the same thing every day and you exercise the same amount every day, you probably would have different amounts of hunger every day. That's just natural and normal because we're fluid human beings. I mean, I don't know anyone who gets the same exact amount of sleep every night down to the minute and second because that's just not the way our bodies work. We're not robots. So Mm -hmm. why should we be expected to eat the same amount of calories every day, whereas some days we're hungrier, some days we're less hungry, some days we exercise more, Some days we're more stressed, which can affect our hunger hormones, and some days we chase a toddler more. You know, There's no way for a diet to know that or even a food label that says a serving size is half a cup. There's no way for a food label to know how much food you need in the moment or how much food is really going to fill you up.
1: Yeah, and just in that vein, again, I know we've been talking about calories too, but you want to think about macro and micronutrients. Think about all of those vitamins, minerals, fiber, all of those things you're cutting out when you take out carbs, legumes, beans, whatever else it is. That's mostly like going after paleo, but, and a whole third. Yeah.
0: I feel like carbs get the most villainized, which (laughs) is probably makes me the Yeah.
1: I mean, as endurance athletes, that's the number one thing we need as an athletes to fuel right. us. So you not only are you missing out on glucose to fuel your endurance training, but you're also missing out on a swath of micronutrients and fiber. So things that it's kind of hard to get in other places. So I I want you to to not only think about what you're missing calorie calorie wise, but also nutrient wise. A lot of people get stuck on that cal oh, and it's empty calories, but very few things are truly empty calories. So don't don't just think that relying on supplements and trying to get your multivitamin is going to make up for that because that's not always the case. We don't really know if multivitamins do their job. We don't know what we're really getting from that. So it's not, it's not right. good to just rely on some pill in order to make up for that whole food group that you're cutting out. Whew.
0: Yes. 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 Amen. Hopefully we've we've at least got you thinking with, with some of these points. Um, The bottom line, I think, that can be hard to understand, especially if you have been wanting to lose weight or trying to lose weight for a while, is that we actually have less control over our weight than we're led to believe. The diets and the culture out there makes you think that we can control our weight by following a certain diet for a week or eating XYZ, but in reality – as we've explained today, our body actually has so many more powerful mechanisms that are more primal. So the need to eat or hunger, which may manifest as cravings or thinking about food or being tired or XYZ, a Z, a million other ways. Um, those are actually strong signals from our body that happen in an attempt to fight back or almost just increase the energy that you need. So weight is largely out of our control, at least when we look at long-term studies and think about how biologically and hormonally how our bodies react to restriction. I also think it's important to take into consideration genetics. That actually has a large role in your body size, in your health conditions. So a lot of that is out of our control. So you're probably wondering, well, geez, what if I do want to lose weight? What do I do? It sounds like, you know, it's a hopeless effort. And we're, we're definitely not here to bash you. You're not a bad person for wanting to lose weight at all. And I hope it's not coming across that way. Um, weight loss may still happen for you. If you start eating in a way where you're focusing on more of your health behaviors, so you're eating foods you enjoy, you are respecting hunger and fullness rather than external diet rules that say what to eat and when to eat. You are engaging in movement that you like. You're eating satisfying foods. Um, You have a good social and emotional ground for where you are in your life right now. All of those have more of a bearing on your health than how much you weigh and the
1: diets Mm -hmm. that you follow. Yeah, and intuitive eating, actually, studies have shown that people who follow intuitive eating, they have lower BMIs, and I think part of the big reason for that is that people eat the things that they actually want to eat and then don't end up overeating later to make up for that satisfaction. And again, that's not something that we promote for intuitive eating, like get on this to lose weight. That's the opposite of intuitive eating. But that just might be like Sarah said, a natural outcome of actually listening to your hunger cues and eating what you actually want to eat and not what you think you should eat. But just remember like trying to be super focused on losing that weight, as we've talked about, can lead to that disordered eating, red S, poor performance. If you're not feeling enough, you're not going to PR. So just something to consider. Yeah. And Marita in a past episode
0: has said that as an athlete, your number one focus is your health. It's always your health, not how you look or how fast you run or performance. I know it's easy to get caught up in performance and numbers and I'm not saying that shouldn't be important to you. You can definitely have those goals, and I want you to be motivated, but your health comes first. So, if you're taking these measures to improve performance only, but neglecting health, then we have a problem. It's going to lead to injuries, it's going to lead to more devastating consequences. So, we just want to bring this to light now. And again, a lot of this is hard stuff. We've been conditioned to think this way in the culture we live in. So we don't expect you to just switch like a light switch, switch your mindset overnight. But We hope through this episode, it at least gets you thinking, and we're going to do a part two where we kind of talk more about intuitive eating and what that actually means. Um, There are 10 principles. They actually just got revamped this year, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to talk about those a little bit more and apply them to sport, and hopefully after that conversation, you'll feel a little bit more knowledgeable and a little bit more confident going forward. Yeah, confident moving moving forward. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and just a reminder, we are doing a raffle if you leave a review on iTunes, or I I think actually technically it's Apple Podcasts now, but we're selecting one reviewer a month, and they get a free 30-minute call just to talk about whatever they want. It doesn't have to be any pressure. It's just anything you want to discuss, whether it's hydration or fueling or just general nutrition questions, and you can pick um, with Sarah or myself, and we're doing that once a month. We're selecting on the first of the month. and yeah just go ahead and leave a review for us it's if you leave an actual comment and not just the star just so we're clear because we can't see who leaves stars
0: (laughs) yeah so after you leave a review leave your name and we will one of
1: us yeah
0: yeah message one of us or keep an eye on social media because we often share the review that we choose as the winner and we want to make sure we can contact you
1: Yes, definitely. Well, we hope you tune in for next time where we dive into intuitive eating and really hone in on how you can get rid of this terrible weight diet cycle and finally find some food freedom. I hope you guys have a good rest of your day. That wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review so others can find it more easily. You can also stay in touch by joining our Facebook group, Nutrition for Runners. If you have any requests for future episode topics and more, email us at nailyournutritioncourse1 at gmail.com. Happy fueling!